Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Aaron Smith from Fiji's Barbecue coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She is the market manager for Liquid Alchemist and a Houston hospitality veteran. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, the Culture Map Tastemaker Awards are back. We will be having an in-person awards ceremony July 22nd at Silver Street Studios. Once again, Bun B will be our MC for the affair. Uh, Linda, I want to talk a little bit about kind of how the process works and then maybe discuss some of the nominees in the various categories. But but let me just throw it to you real quick because you have some perspective on what the awards mean to people. So maybe just talk about that just, just briefly. Like, do people care about this stuff? Cause, cause I work really hard on this. Yeah. I think that people really do care about these, these awards because we, they're, they're nominated by a, a myriad of different professionals. Right. Um, and I mean, in all honesty, it's been a really hard, hard year, you know, for the last for the last two years, you know, and, and nominating people that really deserve it. Cause I mean, I don't know if, you, if, I don't know if everyone remembers what's been happening. It's freaking hard out here. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And, and I, I, you made the point and I just want to emphasize this. There's a panel of judges. It's most of last year's winners along with a couple of wild cards to kind of round things out. Um, they are not the Eric Sandler Awards. I, I am I am one vote on a panel with about 12 other people. And so I, I've gotten a whole bunch of shout outs on social media thanking me for nominations, which I, I really appreciate. And I'm glad that people are excited about it. Uh, but these are not my awards. There's there's a they're the Culture Map Awards. Um, there's a judges panel. And if you haven't clicked that judges tab on the Tastemaker Awards site, you, you really should because it's a it's a pretty distinguished group. Yeah, and I think that um, I, I've I've talked to a couple of people that have been nominated, and I mean this is really this is really like a really great set of people that have gone through a crazy amount of like you know just situations, you know, from trying to figure out how to reopen your bar with no guidance. And, you know, and I mean, I think all more than anything, I, what I really love about this set of people is, is the people that are, are being supported by other people. You know, I know that, um, I've seen people that on that list right now, especially on the bartender side of it, that have quietly been just grinding away, you know, whether it be mentoring people or just being really hospitable or, are just nominated by other badasses. So um, I like to see people kind of come up together. So I, I, I just, I think it's a great set and I kind of want to see who's going to end up winning this year. Well, then you, you have to come to the awards on July 22nd to find out who wins. Uh, but just specifically, we have, we have a whole bunch of categories, just very, very briefly, restaurant of the year, chef of the year, rising star chef of the year, pastry chef of the year, uh, bartender of the year, bar of the year, wine program of the year, neighborhood restaurant of the year. Our wildcard category this year is best pop-up slash startup. 
And then those are all voted on by the judges. And then we have a 16 restaurant, uh, best new restaurant bracket style tournament. Uh, and that is voted on by culture map readers. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you can also vote on that. That kicks off uh, in a couple of weeks, but um, are there any of the nominees in any of those categories that you are particularly excited to see recognized? Yeah, I mean, no, it's impossible to, it's like picking your favorite child, you know, like these are so many of my friends. So it's like, oh, well, who do I really want to champion? Boo boo. I'm championing everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I will say there's been a lot of excitement about the uh, pop-up startup category uh, new for 2021 sort of intended only to be for 2021, but the, I will say the response to it has been so tremendous. Uh, if, if this movement continues of these, these chefs operating these kind of Instagram businesses or, or that are kind of only exist at like farmer's markets or, or night markets or whatever, uh, oh, give, give, give me the list. Give, give give the people the list. I want to see. All right, all right. Just just for, just for this one category, uh, Andrea Angulo of Azacar Pan Artin, Artisano, Andrea De Gotari from The Bake Happening, Angelo Emiliani of Angie's Pizza, mm. Christina Al, the pastry chef. Oh, man. Well, uh, Pivot, and now working with Lucille's Hospitality Group, Emmanuel Chavez of Tatamo, Evelyn Kin uh, or Evelyn Garcia of Kin, uh, Josh DeLeon of Underground Creamery, Luis Mercado and Paolo Justo of Neo, and Sasha Grumman of Sasha's Focaccia. Oh man, what a list! <laughs> yes, man. Yeah, but those Pop Tarts, but those Pop Tarts though. I know Christina's Pop Tarts versus Josh's ice cream versus Angela's pizza versus. I mean, I have I have bought cookies from the bake happening. Yeah, multiple times. I have bought well, conches and uh, Bass cheesecake from Azucar. I I have bought tacos from Tatamo. I, I mean, I, I have been a personal customer of every single. Yeah, all, and I all think of the nominees I, in this category, I have I have spent my hard earned American dollars with them. Well, and I think I think for me, like of that list, I think that. Watching Christina uh, really, you know, she actually came from Houston and worked at, uh, I mean, we, I've done pop-up, I've, I've been at different pop-ups before she left. So she was a pastry chef here, worked at Uchi, and then ended up moving to be the, the head baker in pastry for the Four Seasons in California. And, uh, and Beverly Hills. And so to see her like get scooped up, go to California, live in her best life there. And then bam, have to, had to move back to Houston and see her, you know, crank out, you know, these really cool, like things that she's picked up and things. And, and it was funny is, is that I, I, I called her a couple of weeks ago and I was like, Hey, do you think I could get some, some of these, you know, delicious pop tarts? She's like, it's so funny. That's the one thing everyone asks for because they're still whimsical and fun, but they're so, such a pain in my ass. She's like, I wish that I could do all the all the stuff that just comes out really easily, but I didn't think that it was going to like take off. So I just made a few things, and you know me, I have to kind of like push 
push the limits. So she ends up doing like these 12 different flavors and these orders and, you know, getting no sleep and so on and so forth. So I, I just think that like so much weird stuff has happened and in the last, you know, in the, in the last two years, but like to watch someone rise, like truly rise out of like so much really bad situational stuff, you know? And, um, I mean, just, that's what just with everyone, like Sasha, Sasha was the chef, you know, for, you know, the bald one. Amazing. She's incredible. And she's like, Hey, I'm selling focaccia. What's up? Come right. get it, and baby. Cookies and fruit galettes yeah. and yeah. And, and going, it's and become then like a really nice little business for her, you know? Yeah. And then, and then having, and then going on top shots, you know? Right. Um, but it's wild, you know, but anyways, uh, you guys vote. I can't wait to see what's going, what, what happens. Go get your tickets. I'm sure there'll be some good food and drinks. Um, yes. The, uh, the, the email, like we don't have a list of who will be participating in the event yet, but as that group comes together, I will keep everybody updated. Um, but yes, July 22nd tickets on sale now. Uh, I think there's still a few early bird tickets available. So act fast because then the price goes up and then you're going to be sad that you have to pay more money than you would otherwise. All right. Topic number two, we have a massive food festival coming to Houston in August and September. It is called Commune. It will take place at the Heights House Hotel August 21st to September 5th. It is organized by Grover Smith. How big is it going to be? Heights Hotel is tiny. Well, it's 200 chefs are coming to Houston spread out over the course of this two weeks. So each night will feature like a kind of night market style, you know, vendor thing. There will be collaboration dinners. There will be omakase style tastings. There will be, you know, Grover started uh, Indie Chefs, Indie Chefs Week. So, you know, where you have like seven, eight, nine chefs, each doing an individual course, uh, of a seated dinner, all of those things will be happening on the property. There will be, I mean, there will be tents, there will be booths, there will be lighting, there will be, I mean, you, you're basically not going to recognize this place while commune is going on. Uh, I actually, I've, I've been talking to Grover about this for a little while. You know, you, you'll basically be able to see it from space. I mean, that's, that's the goal. All right. Well, what do you think? I mean, are you going to go? I mean, you know, I am, (laughs) but like, I, I just, I, I, you know, like just coming from like a, um, a professional, it's like two weeks. How do we pick the favorite 200? You know what I mean? Again, um, I do, I really do love the, the events that Curvers put together. Um, I remember meeting him at, uh, foreign and domestic a few years ago in Austin, um, just a gem, um, and so it's nice to see uh, what everyone's going to come, you know, come to bat with, you know, in, in Houston. Uh, I'd like to see more like what, what a omakase, what pop-ups, what collabs, what well, snacks, you well, know what I mean? Let me, let me, let me hit you with just a couple. Uh, one of them is called No La La Land, uh, Conby and Turkey and the Wolf, uh, Turkey and the Wolf from New Orleans. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure where Conby is from, but, uh, they're going to be doing sandwiches together. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, right. Boo boo. Come on. Uh, let me see. Uh, Libby Willis of Mimi's diner pairing up with pastry chef Zoe Kanan, 
uh, for a one night only take on a New York City style Jewish deli. Oh man. Uh, omakase style pop-ups from Kevin Teen of Moon Rabbit, uh, Tim Ma of Lucky Danger, uh, Trig Brown of Win San, Philip Spear of Commodore. Uh, so it's ba- you're ba- you're basically saying I'm saying that super, this, this is super the coolest food, food happening that has ever taken place in Houston. Period. To the point where if you are like a serious food person in other cities, you might think about flying here for a couple of days just to get in on some of this stuff. All right. Okay. Now, the only thing that the only thing that has me just a little bit concerned is that it is going to be really goddamn hot here in August. In it's already goddamn hot right now. Yeah. I'm and, melting just thinking about it. Yeah. So I, fingers crossed that Grover has something has plans to bring in like God's own air conditioning system to keep this thing relatively temperate. But, uh, you know, we'll just suck it up and deal with it. Uh, you, yeah, we are. I think you will see me there a lot for this. Okay. All right. Well, let's see uh, what happens. One other thing, uh, indiechefs.com, uh, people should sign up in advance because there will be a ticket presale for people who sign up for their mailing list. Uh, I expect the really good stuff will sell out. Uh, price points are going to run the gamut, you know, 50 to 500. Uh, obviously the night market style will be like a general kind of situation and then you'll pay a la carte. But uh, yeah, this is going to be, it's going to be a really big deal. Cool. Awesome. Can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. And then, and then topic number three, I know you love nothing more than to talk about Restaurants, when they're announced uh, a year before they open. I, you know what? I don't even, I do, I do not understand why you do this. You, why don't you talk to somebody else about this? You're, uh, it's just what, it's just what comes up on any given week. It, it's, uh, uh, I hate but, it. I, but readers, I mean, uh, listeners, I hate it. It takes forever. It takes the wind out of anyone's like appetite you're like oh i have to wait for that sandwich shop to open up for a year get out of here i want to know that it's open in a month so that i can get my fat pants ready okay i don't want this a year because most of the time it's like two years later and then some investor drops off and then they ended up switching the concept or some ding dong developer can't get their act together oh and many rants over sorry well, this one is called Il Bracco. It's an Italian restaurant from Dallas. Uh, it was, it's, it's already, it opened in 2019 in Dallas. It has been very successful. It is known for its homemade pastas, prime steaks, all the usual Italian style, shareable salads, snacks, yada, yada. Okay. Um, and they're taking the old California pizza kitchen at Post Oak and San Felipe, which Really, anything that replaces California Pizza Kitchen is an improvement on California Pizza Kitchen. Or they could just, people, Houstonians could probably just go to Giacomo's and just crush over there, you know? I mean, they do. (laughs) I went to Giacomo's a couple of weeks ago. It was very busy. Yeah. Very happy for uh, Lynette Hawkins and and the whole crew over at Giacomo's. Uh, It's right across the street from North, which does give me, you know, just like a little bit of like, huh. Because that's you know a lot of Italian food in a in a relatively small area. But. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I do love North, even though it is corporate and so on and so forth. But I, I think it's great. 
you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you right, go to Dallas some. Have you heard of Il Braco? I mean, I guess I'll just, I'll, uh, I guess I'll have to drive all the way to Dallas to figure out when, what this place is a year from now. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> it's opening in the fall. I don't think you have to wait. You, you only have to wait a few months. You don't have to wait a full year. All right. Let's see what happens. All right. Linda, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Linda, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Homestead Kitchen and Bar. This is the new uh, brunch all day uh, lunch and dinner concept that just opened in MKT Heights, which is Shepherd just north of I-10. Uh, we've talked about the Gama that opened in that center uh, a few episodes ago. Um, there's a whole bunch of other restaurants coming to MKT over the next several months, but let's focus on Homestead. Uh, I mean, let me just throw it to you. What did you think? Um, well, first off, I love the fact that that's going to be the new Highland village. Um, (laughs) I love it. It it is. It's going to, it's going to be great shops, retail, the food already. uh, And and homesteads, I think it's a great restaurant. Um, I love all the details. Uh, We had, we had four or five things, took a cinnamon roll to go. I just had a bite of that this morning. Um, I think it's really great, thoughtful food. Uh, lots and lots of, I mean, I had an egg white and corn poblano omelet because, you know, I'm, I love eating like a nice little white lady, but I'm not. Um, and then, uh, and but, we, but you had a really delicious fried chicken. Uh, the hush browns were fire. Everything was really, really good. Um, but again, they're struggling with the same thing that everyone else is, is staffing and opening up a new restaurant. Uh, so we walked in on Sunday early and most of the restaurant was, um, was, was, wasn't full. And it was just because they were trying to catch up with a kitchen that is new. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it was, I think I, I really like the restaurant. I can't wait for them to, to kind of figure things out, you know? Yeah, I think you covered a lot of ground there. Yes, I think, you know, initially, you know, they basically quoted us like uh, an hour and a half wait time to sit because they were trying to let the kitchen catch up. And then they, I got recognized and they sat us uh, with the caveat that it could just be a little bit slow, which was, Actually, I, I thought everything was was relatively fine, but they they were kind of refusing to see people while they sort of got caught up, which is just the reality. I mean, no restaurant that I have been to in the last couple of months has been fully staffed. You can sort of you can sense it in uh, the pace of service and the way that some servers interact with you. It's obvious they're still learning menus and, and procedures. Uh, sometimes food takes a long time to come out or isn't quite, you know, like it'll taste fine or it'll be seasoned correctly, but it won't be as hot as it should have been. You know, uh, that is just, you know, sort of late pandemic dining. That is just sort of the reality of yeah. where we're at right now. 
And, and really the only thing that you can do as a diner is just sort of be patient and accept the situation because it's not, no one's intentionally trying to do a bad job, right? They want to do a great job, but structurally that's very difficult right now. So um, nothing but sort of hugs and applause for Homestead, which is, you know, really only been open for about two weeks. And it's just trying to get its sea legs under it. Um, and, and once they sort of got cut up and got rolling, I think the quality of what we ate was really excellent. Yes. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, you and I eat a lot of breakfast together. That's like one of our things that we do. Um, and so I'm, I'm most of the time I'm apt to just not go out for breakfast unless I'm, I'm going to the same place, have the same thing over and over and over again, because there is so much of a gamble in breakfast. There's eggs are hard. You know, eggs are hard. Hash browns are hard. All that stuff is hard because it's all, it's all comes out so quickly and things die quickly, you know? And so the fact that even though there's a little, you know, problem with trying to, you know, get everything all fired and so on and so forth, the, the service, the service was good, but the food really shines very well. And, and that, you know, that just says a lot, you know? Um, but we'll just see what happens and, um, give them, give them a minute for them to catch up. And, uh, hopefully, um, I did, we did talk to the owner and they did say that they were going to take a day off, which is today for them to like, uh, kind of like catch up, you know, I personally, just to to clarify for people, we're recording this on Monday. Homestead is currently closed on Mondays. Uh, but when this podcast comes out on Thursday, they are open on Thursday. So you can go there. Yeah. But I, but I appreciate, you know, I appreciate that he was, he, he as an owner said, you know, I need to give, you know, our staff and like the proper catch up so that everybody can just like recover. Because I think sometimes I've even heard from other, other people in market, they're like, oh, I'm working 90 hours. And I'm like, why are you doing that? Oh, well, they don't need any, they don't have anyone. And you know what that's called? It's called burnout, baby burn out. You don't want to burn out people that are still trying to get it together. So I really appreciate that kind of like thoughtfulness in ownership. So anyways, yeah, it was, it was good. What are you, what, what are you, what, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, I will say I, you know, I had chicken and waffles that I really enjoyed. I think the, you know, the fried chicken was well seasoned. It was crispy. It was juicy. It's obviously made well. Uh, I went the week before without you, I had uh, a pancake flight that was just absolutely delightful. Uh, and they sent me a couple of dishes to try, one of which was uh, harache that was super crispy, very delicious. And it's called warache, but that's okay. Thank you for correcting my terrible <laughs> Spanish pronunciation. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to take a stab at entomatada. Yeah, you did it. All right, which was uh, a corn tortilla wrapped around uh, panela cheese, like hard, hard seared. Um, really tasty. And, and what I like about that is that the, you know, uh, Omar Perrinet, who's been on this podcast before is a chef consultant kind of helped create that menu. And so, you know, he's Venezuelan. There's some South American touches on this menu that are really nice to see because you don't see that at other breakfast places, right? That's, that's not going on at snooze or Barnaby's or, you know, the toasted yolk or whatever. Um, not that there's anything wrong with what those restaurants are doing, but just that it's, it's really, it's, it, I mean, exciting to maybe a little bit too strong, but, 
but it's fun. It gives you a, another reason to go to Homestead and, you know, uh, and is Mexican American and she's got all these like, you know, a, well, a Mexican native who immigrated to America. And, you know, so she's got like her mother's uh, black bean recipe. Yeah. On, and they are just super like rich and delicious. You know, they're making corn and flour tortillas for breakfast tacos and, and alongside some of the sort of classic like Mexican breakfast items. Uh, they're doing fajitas and enchiladas at lunch, which I have not had the chance to try, but but we'll definitely go back to try because I think the breakfast is really good. And I know you said the hash browns are great. I just want to second that. Uh, <laughs> super crispy, well-seasoned. Yeah. I could eat I could eat a lot of those hash browns. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the, the that that kitchen's really thoughtful. Uh, their bar their bar menu um, is great too. They didn't have the orchata available that day, but I want to go back for their frozen. So, um, yeah, I mean, solid solid review. Just give them a chance. Absolutely. All right, uh, Linda, that does it for the restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks so much. All right, and I will be right back with Aaron Smith. Stick around. I am joined this week by Erin Smith. She's one of the owners of Fijis Barbecue. They have a location in Greenway Plaza and a location opening soon in Spring Branch. Erin, I think this is your third time on the show. Welcome back. I always have a good time. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for doing this. I We have a lot to discuss and, and a lot of it's, um, you know, kind of serious related to your business. But I want to start on a kind of silly note because I had Lance Fegan on the podcast last week. Your husband is Patrick Fegis. Your business is Fegis Barbecue. And so I just have to ask you, has anyone asked you if you opened a restaurant in the Heights? At least a dozen times. Yeah. And and we expect people to walk in and get to the counter and realize that they're not at a steakhouse and be hugely disappointed. <laughs> yeah. We, it, they're, they don't sound alike when you say them out loud, Fijis and Fegan, they don't really sound alike, but they're spelled very similarly. Yeah. And, I, and our, I feel like the written logo looks somewhat similar. Yes. All right. Well, let's talk about spring branch because it's coming soon. Um, I don't expect you want to reveal an opening date uh, here on the podcast, do you? Um, I can. I can very not confidently say that we're going to try to be open on Father's Day. Wow. And the, and the only way I can back it up with confidence is, is just to say you've got to stay tuned to social media because we really won't know until probably a day or two out. We're ready to go. We're just waiting on some final bureaucratic things. And so um, we're really trying to make Father's Day our target. So we know anyone who's been to the Greenway Plaza location, it's a pretty standard kind of cafeteria line, Texas barbecue joint set up. Obviously you have your, your sides. That's kind of what really distinguishes your, 
your menu, but my sense is that Spring Branch is going to be considerably more ambitious. Yes. yes. So maybe talk about some of the ways that Spring Branch is going to be different than what we know from Greenway Plaza. I mean, I, I think Patrick and I are really looking at the Spring Branch location as a more full service style of restaurant, even though the service itself is still counters, you know, you order at the counter, um, but your options include a really amazing wine list, an extensive beer uh, menu, and the food menu itself is just more encompassing. So there's barbecue, but it's, it's just padded with so much more um, content. I mean, the menu has composed dishes that I think are really good. Our side, we've started really updating our sides in the past couple of weeks um, in preparation for this uh, opening. And so I, I think the menu has a lot to offer. We're really trying to create a restaurant that's family friendly. So there's a kid's menu. Um, our space is huge. I think our space is stunning. Um, we're really happy with how everything turned out. So I just think that the space in general and the restaurant, like when you walk in, it really gives you a feeling that is different than what you can get at Features Barbecue Greenway, even though I think the food is just as good there. There's just more, there's more options and um, we're really trying to satisfy more than just the, you know, the, the business lunch crowd. Yeah, I mean, so obviously you guys do kind of barbecue plates and sandwiches at Greenway, like what's new on the menu? Cause you've been testing all kinds of stuff, burgers and chicken sandwiches and. Yeah. Uh, There's so much going on. I literally have to look at our menu to answer this question. <laughs> um, I mean, so a lot of the stuff that you've seen, so we've got a fried chicken sandwich. We're doing a Southern fried chicken platter. We've got a big um, bulgogi beef rib dish. That's, um, you know, on a bed of rice with a Korean braised greens. So they're really kind of perfectly spicy. Um, and then Patrick's, you know, bulgogi dishes. I think that was the first thing he ever cooked for me was bulgogi for Ben Sasani's photo shoot, um, shoot the chef. And so we wanted to bring that in because it's part of his cooking heritage. And so um, that's a big kind of, I think, statement menu item. We've got the burger. Um, we want to do some stuffed pastas, which we're going to figure out what kind of barbecue meats we are starting to accumulate um, at the end of the day and then create some recipes around those. We're going to do a, a fish dish. And then we really want to expand on the, the um, desserts. We haven't quite had time in our kitchen to, to do too much there yet, but also our salads. We've got two new salads that we don't have at Greenway Plaza. Sorry about that. Um, so we're doing a charred Caesar salad, Serrano Caesar dressing, and then it, it's actually like charred on the coals of the barbecue pit. So it just like, they just put it down for like a second and it just gets like just the perfect amount of char, but it doesn't wilt or anything. And then we're doing a green goddess salad with bib lettuce, um, curried chickpeas, roasted cauliflower, and a really awesome green goddess dressing. Yeah. I mean, kind of a, a bold I mean, I know, you know, Patrick worked at Underbelly where they, like Korean flavors are a big part of the menu, but uh, kind of bold move to be doing Korean food on Long Point with so many great Korean restaurants. I mean, yeah, that certainly crossed our mind. So, I mean, people don't really know this, but Patrick was stationed in Korea. So his love of Korean food came from actually living in Korea. Um, 
And it's part of why we love the neighborhood we live in because he, you know, enjoys eating Korean food. We do it as a family. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's very, it's a fine line and we want to make sure we're respecting the culture. Um, but I think that it's really important to Patrick to do so. So I think that our food will hopefully, you know, stay in our lane. Yeah. And maybe expand a little bit on your plans for the beverage program. Maybe not everyone remembers that you spent, what, a couple of years working at Camerata, kind of learning the wine world. Yeah. So I was at Camerata for two years, um, really kind of immersed myself in not just the wine culture, but wine people and wine people are really awesome and fun. And I was a little intimidated when we started putting the wine list together. I thought, okay, I haven't been doing this for a few years and I'm not, you know, I don't know that I'm really up for the challenge, but I called Chris Paul doing and I said, Hey, can you help me? Um, just connect me with some reps and let's, you know, let's get our focus and our focus for the wine list. It's not entirely women winemakers, but there are a lot of phenomenal women winemakers on our wine list. Um, we also really wanted to have a fine balance between things that people would recognize um, and feel comfortable ordering. And then also some things that require a little bit of education. So grapes that are much less known from, you know, countries that we don't always think of when we think of winemaking. So our list, I think, even though it's really small, there's only 14 wines. It's a really thoughtful list and it's got something for everybody. And I hope that as we start getting regulars that come in repeatedly and they get comfortable with us, that we can start really kind of pushing them towards some different styles and kind of learning their palates and knowing what we think they would like. So that's something I've really gotten excited about. I was intimidated at first and now I'm just like, I kind of want to abandon food altogether and just focus on wine. <laughs> well, and of course, I mean, beer and barbecue is such a natural pairing. Yeah. Um, and, and Patrick's had a lot of fun with, it. I'd say Patrick is equally as excited about his beers. I, I told him he could, um, I said, our menu has enough room for eight bottles and cans and four to six draft beers. And you know what he did? He bought 30. He bought 30 canned, 25, he bought 25 canned in bottles and eight drafts. <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know where we're going to store all that. And it definitely doesn't fit on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> like physically on the, on the it, menu boards, like it physically doesn't fit. And this is his box. Oh, I see. Got it. He's got okay. it. He's got a box. And it had room. I was going to squeeze in another two or three lines. Um, I've got to call Matt Tabor and say, Matt, you've got to redesign our whole menu because Patrick has picked 24 beers. There's just going to be a secret beer menu. It, it'll be like only on the website or something. And you, you can just hit it with a QR code. And that's that's how you find the secret beer menu. Okay, so Patrick's, Patrick has a similar solution. His solution is that the menu just says craft and you know five dollars or six dollars and then crap can i say that on a podcast you can yeah and crap was like three bucks or something and he goes all they have to do is go to the register and say hmm craft and then the person at the register pulls out the craft menu and if they say crap the person pulls out the crap menu and i don't know i guess crap is like you know but like Yes. It's a, it's a billion dollar brand. They can, I, yeah. they can, they can take the hit for me. They can calling take the hit. 
<laughs> so I don't know if that's what we're going to do. That hasn't, um, that hasn't really circulated through my mind yet. Cause he told me that like two hours ago and we've been really busy, but I'm like, it's not a great idea, but it's also not a bad idea. <laughs> right. And maybe, it's, and maybe it is a really good idea. Right. Maybe you open with that idea and see how people respond to it and then go from there. Cause you can always gonna, change it. But nobody thinks their beer is crap, right? So well, no, yeah, everybody's going to say crap and then they're going to order something. You go, Oh, that's actually on our crap menu. Right. You're going to, you're going to get some angry silver Eagle rep marching in with like, how dare you call the best selling beer in the world crap. And then, you know, you're going to have to change it, but they're going to, they're going to threaten to withhold the St. Arnold or whatever. And then you'll have to deal with them. But they'll lose our business, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's a, it, I, I don't pretend to understand how those relationships work. I'm just glad I don't have to manage them. <laughs> um, all right. So you're not doing hard liquor though, right? This is. This no, we're not, we're not doing hard liquor, but we do have a frozen margarita. It is a technically a wine based margarita. Okay. Yeah. It, it's just, I know, I know how Patrick feels about bourbon and rum. And so I, I wondered if like, this, this is not the concept where he gets to buy a whole bunch of liquor, I guess. No, we, we, we were really considering doing like the full liquor and having cocktails. Um, but we honestly talked to a lot of people in barbecue, but also just, you know, restaurant friends. And the strong advice we received was it's just so much easier to stick to beer and wine. And that's really what most people order, even if you offer um, a full bar unless you have like a really strong cocktail program, which we just didn't feel like we'd be able to pull off. We're not, um, we don't come from a cocktail background. Neither of us have our own skill set that would be beneficial there. So it would always be us relying on somebody else. And that was just something we didn't want to do. Right. So, all right. So um, how has it been sort of hiring in the middle of this? Because, Every restaurant where I go and talk to an owner or a GM or whatever, it's just, I hear it's really tough to find qualified people right now. Um, I think this is going to be a very unpopular response. We were anticipating having a lot of trouble and we didn't. Um, We hired pretty quickly. Um, Our staff is 25 people here and we found people, we fully staffed ourselves non-managers, but with hourly, we fully staffed ourselves in about three weeks. And I, I think our pay is competitive. I don't, I won't, I would never say we're offering more than everyone else. I think our pay is competitive. Um, I don't really know what we did right. We put our, we advertised on Poach, we advertised on Indeed, and we did a lot of social media and we were able to get really good candidates. Now we've had some turnover. We've had people that worked for three days and left. Um, we haven't had a ton of that, but, and that's kind of expected, I think in the pre-opening phase, but um, so far we consider ourselves very lucky. And this year has really taught us a lot about not taking employees for granted. And, um, you know, just that people have choices. You got to treat people right. And um, I think we just have, a, there's a lot of, pressure and onus on us to make sure we keep doing that because we know, we know if we don't, there's a lot of people hiring and that, and that people can leave and they have choices. Yeah, no, I, I think that probably speaks to your, 
whatever reputation you've established as employers if people want to work for you. I think that's a good sign for whatever kind of culture you've already created. I, I really hope that that's part of it. I think that we work really hard to be good employers and we're not perfect, but we try. I also think we did a really good job in hiring our management team. And, um, you know, the first three positions we hired were Pitmaster, CDC, and um, GM. And I think we really nailed it. And they did all the hiring themselves um, beyond beyond us hiring them. Every interview was conducted by our managers. So we didn't really sit in on any interviews. Um, so I, I attribute a lot of that success to them and they're good people and they're fun and they're, you know, respectful. And, um, and that's part of why we hired them because we wanted our, that culture to kind of continue, but they've done a really good job. And so this is, um, you know, being in Greenway Plaza, it's, you know, mostly lunch five days a week. Uh, like, how are you going to sort of roll this out seven days a week, lunch and dinner? I mean, what, what's the goal? So we are going to be open Tuesday through Saturday for lunch and dinner, and then Sunday for lunch only. So we'll probably close at three on Sundays and Monday closed all day. We want to, you know, host events occasionally on Sunday nights or Monday nights. Um, so this way we have the ability to do that. Um, but yeah, so we'll be six, five and a half days a week, six, almost six days. Are, are you, are you excited about that? Are you, are you nervous about it? I mean, how do you feel about kind of stepping up to getting back into a, what constitutes a full-time restaurant schedule? I mean, for the past couple of weeks, we've been working seven days a week and it's been a lot of fun because we're building, we're working for our, towards our own dream, right? Like, so it's hard to hate what you do when it's self-inflicted and you've been working towards it for two and three years. So we're really enjoying it. I think it's, it's hard for me to like really conceptualize going back to Saturday and Sunday um, work when we have a child. So we're balancing that out. I mean, there's a lot of like juggling, like we kind of look at each other and rock, paper, scissors for like, okay, who, who's going to go home and do and be a parent and who's going to stay. And it really just has to do with like, who's, how critical is what you're working on right now. But, um, it's, it's fun. I mean, we built a restaurant that our son can hang out in. There's a whole kids play area and that was very intentional. We know we're going to spend a lot of time up here and we really want it to be a family thing. Um, he's a little too young to wash dishes, but, um, he'll be be there soon. It's coming. And yeah. And he, he loves like when we bring him up to the space, like he has his little favorite spots, like all the new plants that are here. He goes and stares at them. He tries to find the fake lizard that we kind of just move around the, the whole restaurant. Um, so it's definitely becoming his place. His favorite room is the smoke room, which makes Patrick very happy. But um, yeah, I mean, but what we're most excited about being open on the weekends is that we can finally serve people. I mean, there are so many people that are like, I want to try your barbecue so bad, but I work at, you know, I work an hour and a half outside Houston and I can't get to you guys Monday through Friday. So this is finally our opportunity to, to be able to reach our audience and, um, and, and serve people. And that's, thrilling. No, absolutely. Uh, and then the one other thing that I just, I should have asked you about already, but um, you obviously, um, I mean, you're a trained chef, you you worked at 
you worked at some really great restaurants in New York. Uh, you kind of led the development of the sides for the, for the Greenway Plaza restaurant. Like what, what has been your contribution to the menu? Kind of what's new? What, what can we expect? Um, there's a few updated sides that are from me, but um, we hired a CDC and he's also put his own creative touch on the menu. So like the salads are really driven by him. Um, we've had input, but, but really it's, you know, his creations. Um, he has not really touched the sides too much yet, but I definitely anticipate that like in the long run, he's really going to have his fingerprints on that more and more and also with the desserts. So I mentioned earlier that we haven't really updated the desserts yet. And that's because he hasn't had his kitchen for very long. Um, we haven't really had a, a space from outside of Greenway and Greenway was pretty small. So he's really excited to kind of run with the desserts menu. We just won't have those new items up and available, you know, when we open hopefully this weekend, but um, he's got a really creative mind. So I'm excited to see what he does. Absolutely. And then uh, let's, I mean, I, you know, the, the logic of opening in Greenway Plaza was you have this dedicated population of office workers that are basically required to be there five days a week for lunch. Um, and then, you know, 15 months ago, all of a sudden you didn't have that anymore. What has it been like? What has this last year plus been like for you? Because from an outsider perspective, you guys have hustled really hard to like keep this thing going. It has been for sure the toughest year of our business life. Um, We've learned a lot. I think we had, we had a lot of challenges and we had a lot of kind of unique circumstances because of where we were located. Um, But on the positive side, we also had a very understanding um, landlord who was very supportive. And I think that was something that really helped us get through the past year and a half almost. Um, And even though the office workers weren't there, we were just immediately like thinking of what we needed to do. And so we were able to stay afloat. We were able to, you know, keep the business going. We were really able to keep most of our staff. We didn't have to furlough. We furloughed our staff for a week. We brought them back. Um, because we got our PPP loan and then we didn't have to let anybody go after that. Um, and that was tough. I mean, we really had to hustle and that's what we told them was like, the sales aren't coming to us. We have to go to them. Like, we're going to have to really turn ourselves into salesmen. And they did. Everybody did. Our manager, you know, really kind of pivoted in every way we asked him to. And um, so we learned a lot. And I think I think even though it was so hard and um, I wouldn't say it was always enjoyable, it was, I mean, it was tough and it was emotionally exhausting. I think it really set us up for this restaurant because everything seems easy now. I mean, we're opening a restaurant and I feel like I'm so cool, calm and collected. And part of it is because, yeah, we just had like a crazy year. So opening a restaurant seems relatively easy in consideration, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, just some of the things, you know, you got on Gold Belly, uh, you started selling to the farmer's market. Um, you guys, you guys sort of started popping up in the, in the parking lot of your future restaurant and selling meat, meat in bulk. I mean, kind of, what do you think you'll keep and, and what do you think like we're going to kind of retire it now that we have a second restaurant to focus on? 
We're keeping most of it. Um, we're going to continue doing buy in bulk and we actually ship everything um, in house. So we, we don't go through gold belly. We almost went through gold belly, um, but we decided to keep it in house and do it. Um, you know, we did a lot of research in order to be able to do that and our HACCP plan and um, different licensing things that we had to get in place in order to do it. But we, we did all the legwork. And so we're going to keep all of that in house. We'll continue to do it. We hope to grow that program. Now that we're in spring branch, we've got a huge cooler and we've got a bigger smoking capacity. So it'll be easier for us to keep up. Um, and so, so nationwide is here to stay. I think online ordering is, is here to stay even for just like lunch pickups. Um, those are all things that were very new during COVID. We did not do those prior. The only thing that we probably won't keep in its full capacity is the markets. We were really embracing markets over the pandemic. Um, and we'll still do some, I think, but um, we were really sad to have to leave Urban Harvest. Um, Urban Harvest was another one of our saviors during the pandemic, but it was just starting, people were going back to eat at restaurants and the market was kind of starting to get a little slower for us. And we were we were getting busier so we just decided it was the right time to stop doing the market but um but otherwise all the things that we had to learn to do this year we're going to keep doing them um it only makes our business stronger you know i let me just say as a barbecue consumer the best the best thing that came out of this last year is being able to order online and pick up and not have to stand in line for barbecue I, yeah, I, I love that so much. And it, and everybody does. It can't go away. We've had conversations with other business owners in barbecue and everybody kind of feels the same way. We're like begrudgingly keeping it. And the reason we begrudgingly, begrudgingly keep it is not because we you know want to force people to stand in line, but it's actually really hard to, to maintain your inventory. Um, because if you cook, you know, 16 briskets you can get a you can get a weight and say okay we have this much brisket but you can't put that in the computer because you don't know if people are, are going to order a brisket sandwich a you know brisket on a loaded potato brisket on a meat plate so there is no way to track that inventory you just have to wait till you're low and then you go online and you say we're out and it's a lot harder for our management team to keep up with it. But I think we've realized that it's just here to stay like it or not. It's here to stay. And so we are, we're just gonna, we're gonna embrace it and hopefully get better at it. Let me, let me shift gears with you slightly because I think of you as kind of a connector within the industry. You're very involved with I'll have what she's having the, the kind of chef focused women's health charity what are you kind of hearing from your your friends and colleagues? How are people feeling right now about where they're at and kind of what what the future holds? So what we've really discovered that so many of our members shifted out of a restaurant job or a job where they were working for someone else and they started doing kind of their own cottage industry. And so a lot of what we're doing right now is we're trying to provide resources for people that are now having to get insurance for their own business, right? If they, they might cook out of their home with a cottage license or cook out of a commissary kitchen, but now they have to figure out insurance, payroll, even if they're their only employee, or maybe they have a couple of small employees helping them, right? 
And so these are all things that just were really thrust on our industry over this past year is um, having to learn how to do those things quickly. And I've seen a lot of people be really successful at it um, from an outsider's perspective, right? I mean, you've got people that are doing Pop-Tarts and um, focaccia and they're selling like crazy and, and there's a huge demand for what they're doing. But on the backside of that, they're now running a business and they had to learn how to do it overnight. And so we have found that that's the biggest need that our industry faces is really providing some of those resources and educational tools so that people know how to file their taxes properly and they know how to set themselves up and keep themselves secure and have the right coverage. Um, and I think it's really great because we've got all these really great like specialized products that are available now, um, but we need to protect those business owners. You know, uh, at the top half of the show, Linda Salinas and I were talking about the Tastemaker Awards this year and, and our wildcard category is uh, best pop-up startup, yeah. you know, because I, I really wanted to capture all of these kind of Instagram-based businesses. Um, and, and as I said earlier on the show, I have personally purchased from every single of our 10 nominees mm-hmm. Uh and, and I certainly know a lot of other people have too. Do you have a sense that that's here to stay? I don't know. I, I'm not a good predictor of the future. Um, but I, I feel like the quality of what they're doing is really good. You have to reach a certain sales threshold or else it starts to become too much work and it's not worth it. Um, so I guess the real question is how scalable are these, um, you know, are these products that they're selling? Um, if it's just you, your limit to how much you can produce is probably never going to be enough to actually make a, a good income and make it worth your worth your money and time. But if you can hire a few people and rent out a bigger kitchen space and and scale up your product, then yes. I mean, look at what, um, from Roy, I mean, he sells really one product, um, varieties of one product and he has built an entire business on it. And so I think it's definitely possible for those guys to stay, but it's going to take, it's going to take, I think some help from our community support and, um, and also just, they're going to have, I think being able to, um, e-commerce your product is critical for what they want to do. Yeah, no, I mean, because if you can do, I don't know, say, you know, ten or fifteen thousand dollars a month in sales, you know, pay your expenses, maybe have an employee or two, like you'd still give yourself, uh, you know, a salary that's maybe equivalent to what you might make at a restaurant, but yeah, you'd control your own schedule to a certain extent. You wouldn't have the the crushing hours of a restaurant. I mean, I I think it's uh, I, I'll be very curious to see if if this movement kind of grows and if people don't kind of like being their own bosses instead of working for other people. Well, and I will say hard work is never the problem. It's when you work for yourself and you're doing it because it's your dream, a 12 hour day doesn't feel like a 12 hour day. Right. And nobody's telling you to do it. You're doing it for yourself. I think there's, that's, that's the big difference. And that's what these people are doing is they're working as hard as they were in a restaurant, but they're working for themselves. They're working on their own terms, like you said. And I think that that has some longevity power to it because it's way more appealing 
All right. And then let me ask you about one other thing. Uh, the new Texas monthly top 50 barbecue joints is going to come out later this year. Uh, Daniel Vaughn, very prominently on the road right now. Uh, Jimmy Ho, I know is checking off a bunch of places scouting for, for Texas monthly. Uh, you guys were named to their list of the top 25 best new joints. Uh, what was that? 2018, 2019. Um, yeah. One of those years. One of those. Um, are you optimistic? I mean, it because just privately, I've talked to some people. the The list of quality barbecue joints has never been deeper. I I don't know how they get to fifty without leaving off some really, really great restaurants. No, I I am right there with you. I I think that, but from four years ago when they did the last top fifty list to now, probably a hundred and fifty really good restaurants have opened really good barbecue restaurants. I mean, in every town, in, you know, in every zip code in this state, and that's a really great thing. And where do we stand? I really don't know. Um, I think what we're doing is really good. I think um, what we're doing is different. I don't know how much that matters. I don't know. Um, I, I always remain optimistic because that's just my personality, but I also, I won't be super disappointed if we're not on the list because I feel like there are a lot of really great restaurants out there. But I, I also think that it's really, it's a really great kickstart for a business to be on the list and that it would probably hurt us to not be on the list because we'd lose out, you know, when that list comes out for an entire year, all people do is travel around to try to hit up those barbecue joints. And so it'd be, it'd be huge for us. Um, and I know Patrick's, Patrick loses sleep at night, um, you know, because he doesn't touch the barbecue as much every day as he used to, especially now that we're transitioning. And so I think he's just really trying to make sure where we get dialed in. We obviously don't even know where, you know, if the people that come secretly eat, we don't know if they're going to Greenway or Spring Branch or both. Um, we don't know if they've already come. I mean, Daniel's assured us that he's not coming himself. So we probably won't know who comes in. <laughs> And uh, all we can do is just do our best and put out, you know, the best food we can and, and hope we're on the list. I mean, I think the biggest change in the last four years, at least from my perspective, is that it's you can't just you can't just do the barbecue road trip where you just eat the brisket at five places and sort of rank them. I mean, it's so much more comprehensive now. It really yeah. is about sides and desserts and you know not just the trinity but the you know are you making your own sausage is it are you doing whole hog are you doing pulled pork turkey chicken you know it's just it's so much broader now and so much more competitive well and i think that's i think that's where we do well is I know nobody has been into Spring Branch yet, right? But I've spent a lot of time here. I'm here all day, every day. And I can just tell you that like the restaurant itself is, it's a phenomenal place. It's just a great place to stand and be be there. There's so much option on the menu. The wine list, to me, it's just like when people ask about our restaurant, like, are you a barbecue restaurant? I'm like, I don't really know how to answer that question. Yeah, we're a barbecue restaurant. I, I also think we could legitimately be mentioned in Wine Spectator magazine, you know, or 
because we fit in that realm too. Um, and as much as we want to be on barbecue lists, I think we also have a, a fair shot at being on restaurant lists, you know, non, non barbecue, just restaurant. And what does that mean? I don't know. Is, does that help us or hurt us? Maybe a little bit of both. Um, you know, maybe the barbecue isn't the highlight because some salad is, and is that a good thing for us or not? I mean, I don't know. Patrick puts a lot of effort into the barbecue. So I think the barbecue should always, you know, be a highlight of your visit if you have it, but we do so much more than barbecue. Absolutely. Well, that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there something you would like to discuss that I haven't asked you about? I'm really excited about your tastemakers uh, awards list. I saw a lot of really great friends on uh, that were nominated. So yes, we're we're very excited that that's back. We're very excited to have an in-person ceremony because Bun B is our MC, <laughs> and he just makes that event special. Yeah, and, and and I think it just it's it is a bigger deal because he is involved and because people like winning and they get their picture taken with Bun B. Well, Bun B is a really awesome guy, but he's also just a really great supporter of the culinary industry. So. Yes. I was thinking about it. We, we started tastemakers in 2014. So I think this is the, if I, if I'm counting on my fingers, right, that makes this the eighth year. Uh, And obviously it's, it's changed a lot over the years and, and become, I, I know that it becomes important because people get upset about like who's nominated and who's not nominated and not, not so much who wins and who doesn't win, but like who's on kind of the, the finalist list. Yeah. And it was like, okay, I, I respect the criticisms. I take it seriously. We try to make it a little better every year. And, you know, I, but I feel, I feel very good about this year's group of nominees overall. Yeah, I agree with that. You, you made me laugh just there because um, I don't remember, maybe it was like 2015, Patrick won the up and coming chef. Yes. Rising star is what rising star. And he still has that little, it was just a little like plastic frame and we were putting up, you know, we were at like, do we put up awards here? You know, are we going to hang up things from, you know, different newspaper articles and stuff. And I found the tastemaker award and I was like, Patrick, are we putting this up? And he goes, no, I'm still trying to get Eric to trade it in for a bottle of bourbon. Cause you guys did that <laughs> one year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We had a sponsor that yes. That, I told Patrick, true. he peaked early. It's his fault. Yeah. I don't, I, I mean, for the last several years, they've been those kind of plexiglass plates. You see them, you see them around town. I'm trying to remember. I took a picture of one recently. I was really happy to see it somewhere, but I don't remember. I don't remember where I was, where I saw it, but. Well, I tell you this, if you gave Patrick a bottle of bourbon that was etched with like tastemakers rising star chef of the year 2015, it would definitely go up in our restaurant. All right. I'll, I will talk to the powers that be. I will, even if I, I may have to come out of my own pocket for that, but we'll, we'll see. (laughs) Uh, Aaron, before I let you go, I have to play the lightning round. Mm-hmm. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Aaron Smith, what is your favorite ingredient? Turmeric. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? 
Gloria Estefan. <laughs> what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Whataburger, the number 13 chicken strips. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Ooh, who's uh, Jose Altuve? And then finally, what are your go-to pizza toppings? Oh, you're going to make me so unpopular. Pineapple. Pineapple no, and ham. A- Pineapple and ham. <laughs> It's on the menu. There's pineapple on one of the pizzas at Tiny Champions. I think the, I think the, uh, I think that battle has been fought and won by. I think pineapple is won. I put beans in chili and I put pineapple on my pizza, and that's just how I am. And you have to accept me for who I am, or don't. I accept you. That's it. I I accept you. I can't speak for all the listeners of this podcast, but I accept you. Uh, Aaron, give us the website for Fiji's Barbecue, and and tell us where exactly in Spring Branch you're going to be opening. Got it. So the website is www.fegesbbq.com. We are located at 8217 Long Point Road, right in the heart of Long Point Spring Branch. And we should be opening hopefully this week. Check out our social media, which is at BGSBBQ. Uh, and you'll be able to get all the insider information on whether or not we are in fact opening on Sunday for Father's Day. This is my gift to Patrick. (laughs) I'm literally going to hand him the inspection report and say, congratulations for Father's Day. You get a restaurant that's open. (laughs) For Father's Day, you get to work for 12 hours. 14 or 15 hours. (laughs) But this is his life dream. So he should be very thrilled about that. (laughs) Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you. It was fun. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.